Hi, and welcome back to another episode of DSC's Charity Questions podcast. And today we're here with Andy Ellis, uh, head of fundraising at Staying Put. And we're here to pick his brains on strategy, campaigns, creative writing, and the future of fundraising. And, and I met Andy as he's one of our Funds Online Plus subscribers. And actually, his knowledge instantly blew me away. And I, and I couldn't miss the opportunity to to get him to share his knowledge with the wider charity sector. So we've got some questions in mind from DSC colleagues and from the wider sector, and we're going to be putting Andy Andy to the test today on his fundraising skills, and I'm looking forward to him telling us what, what he does in fundraising and how that can also influence maybe what you want to do in your own fundraising journey as well. So welcome, Andy, to the podcast, and tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us what your role is at Staying Put, if that's okay. Good morning. Thanks for inviting me. Um... I'm the business development manager for Mycins at uh, Stain Put, which means I'm basically the guy that um, tries to get the money in um, to fill the funding gap that I guess most charities experience at one time or another. Uh, and that involves grants and foundations, grant, grant applications. It involves competitive tendering, uh, individual sponsors coming up with ideas for events and campaigns and corporate sponsors so the whole nine yards really if you like um, absolutely and i've been doing this for quite some time for lots of different organizations i've been with staying put for uh, just over two years now and uh, it's a wonderful place to be and actually you're right I, so i should have said business development manager shouldn't i that broader broader term there and we spoke about this briefly before but that was that was a specific choice am i right in thinking yeah, yeah it was it was a choice yeah um it was a choice because Although I'm involved in all aspects of those fundraising, those fundraising, all those different fundraising things, mm. so you could call me a fundraising manager, but actually it's more than that because once I've got the money in, I'm the guy that writes the reports to funders to let them know how we've used it and what the effects have been, what the impact has been. Um, I get involved in some marketing and media promotions. I go to events. I cultivate relationships, long-term relationships with lots of different organisations I create and am part of uh, partnership bids, so it's 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 kind of much broader than that. Um, there's nice. there's 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 a fair amount of admin attached to it, and and a fair amount of relationship building both with corporates and with funders. That's local government, regional government, central government, all Absolutely. kinds of people. Absolutely. So I think you're talking about relationship building. Maybe that opens us up for a question about beneficiaries then. So I'm always talking about beneficiaries being the heart of our kind of fundraising strategy and stories and nothing about them without them is maybe something we could say. And so, of course, you're you're a cause that's linked closely to your beneficiaries, as many charities are. Um, mm. And in terms of using beneficiaries in either your strategy or your campaigns, um, how how do you involve beneficiaries at your organization? The people we serve, our clients, our beneficiaries, our service users, whatever it is that you want to call them, are central to everything that you do. Um, they're the people who know better than anyone else what they need. Um, if you don't talk to your service users, you can't possibly know what they need. So any strategy you devise will be, if not completely pointless, then at best aiming for things that won't help mm-hmm. or they don't need. So you need to get out of the office, you need to talk to them, talk to the staff that are interacting with them every day. Um, we talk to our service users all of the time uh, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis and uh, we collect uh, good news stories um, from Perfect. most of them when we can. Uh, there's nothing more compelling actually to trusts, foundations, corporate sponsors, whoever, 
than personal stories. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you have to be careful about what you reveal. Uh, obviously, safeguarding mm. and confidentiality is extremely important, especially for, uh, for the work that we do. Um, so we have to be careful about what we reveal. But we do ask for and we get many personal journey type stories. Um, Amazing. And they can be used in applications. They are mm -hmm. compelling. Um, one particular lady, I'll call her Jo. Um, that's not her real name. <laughs> no um, worries. But she worked with a professional video company for us. She was very willing to tell her story. And that wow. video is available on YouTube now. Wow. It told her story in her words. Wow. And gives a really powerful emotional message. Um, and that's been used in the promotion of event that we have mm -hmm. happening in October. It's been used in a sponsor pack that I send to mm -hmm. uh, potential corporate funders. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, they are absolutely central to everything they, that, that, that we do in the charitable sector. They are the reason for existing. Mm -hmm. so, absolutely. You know, without, without that input, then you just kind of whistle in the wind. And so you brought in a, a professional video organization to, to work with this beneficiary. Is that right? Yeah. We did. Yeah. Um, I, um, I found the money to pay for that. Yes. That was, a, so that was a grant application. Fine. With a specific purpose to help us promote our organization and the work that we were doing. So I, I, I had to win the money to do that. It cost us about, it cost us just shy of 7,000 pounds to get it done, but it was, wow. but it was brilliant and it was, and it was worth every penny. And uh, and it lasts forever on YouTube, right? It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 there for all time, and it's embedded in the sponsor pack that I send out to potential corporate sponsors. And uh, yeah, we use it all the time, and it's powerful because it's her story. I mean, she's in the video. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She had no problem being in the video at all. Mm. Not too many of our service users uh, are able to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, course, a lot yeah. of our service users really don't want to revisit their experiences. But mm. Joe was um, very upfront and very, really, really wanted to do it. Um, I think it was a kind of a payback for, from her for, for, for the services received. Mm. Not that she needed to do it, but she was happy to do it. And uh, yeah, it worked, worked really well for us. I think so obviously last, get, yeah, last obviously. time I checked, I think there were, I think there'd been sort of 30,000 viewings. Wow. That's which incredible was number. And then you yeah. think about that investment, even if you'd made that from reserves, it would have probably been an adequate investment in terms of the return of profile. But but doing it as a grant, I think, is actually probably what a lot of charities out there are happy to hear, those that maybe don't have, have the resources to make videos. Yeah, uh, the money's out there. You just have to search for it. Um, in this instance, it was money from the Mayor's Safety Safer Communities Fund. Mayor Safe Community Fund. I'm sure I can almost hear the keyboards searching away right now, Andy. After after giving, uh, that, yeah. Uh, so if you've got a um, if you've got a combined authority and you have a mayor, uh, then the mayor will have a hand in the policing strategy and yeah. safer communities, and it's it's kind of money that they're able to use for whatever their priorities will be. So I can't say, you know, yeah, every part of the country will have a safer, safer communities fund. Yeah, yeah. But in West Yorkshire, they do. Um, and, and that's where we got the money from because it was all about um, raising awareness. Absolutely. Of, Great work. Uh, domestic abuse. 
Mm. I love it. And, and, and I think maybe it links slightly to what I'm about to say next, because probably you've been using this um, in your individual giving campaigns. Um, but one of the things I like to talk about in my training is the resilience you get from having a, a wide network of donors, whether locally or nationally, that give us individual money that we can use maybe unrestricted for our core costs or obviously in some mm. cases restricted for certain projects. Mm. Um, mm. But I think there's so many charities out there that want this, but actually don't recognize that, or maybe they do recognize how difficult it can be to build up a base of individual giving. And so if you were brought into a, an organization that did not have an individual ga- giving campaign and, and they were looking to start one, Andy, would you have any, what advice would you have for those organizations? Um, I, yeah, well, Stay in Port were very much in that space. When I joined, um, they they employed me because they, they, well, the CEO recognized that they needed to approach fundraising in a completely different way and mm. so and so stay important didn't have a fundraising strategy so i wrote the strategy which encompassed individual giving corporate giving events okay. campaigns grants competitive tendering etc etc um and it's and it's it's taken time to get there um and what i very quickly realized was although we were using one organization to take donations um, there were no specific campaigns, and, and and even where people had said they wanted to be kept informed, as an organisation, we didn't have the capacity to keep them as informed as we really mm. wanted to. Um, so uh, that was the point at which we, I persuaded the board and the CEO to invest in a um, customer relationship management uh, system. Gotcha which is the ETAP system from Blackboard. It's the kind of baby brother, it's the, it's the baby sister, if you like, to, to Razor's Edge. Yes, I remember you telling me. Um, ETAP, and at the, say, yeah. ETAP. ETAP, yeah. yeah. And at the same time, we switched from um, Enthuse to Just Giving. Yeah, nice. And we did that because Just Giving and ETAP are owned by the same company, that's Blackboard. Yeah. So that any anybody uh, making a donation via the Just Giving button on our webpage, their information flows into ETAC. Magic when that happens. So when that happens, not only have you massively reduced the amount of admin that mm. you have to do, mm. um, you've also got a system then that you can set templates for, newsletters for, and set regular dates when they're going to go out. And so it just becomes a matter of a slight refresh every month or every quarter whatever it is you decide to be able to send the information out and keep people involved and keep people interested it also gives us the ability to tell them about future events and future campaigns and different things that we're doing um and and we're building our donor base that way Mm. Um, it takes time Mm -hmm. it it absolutely takes time because you've Mm. got to have the capacity to refresh all your messages across all your social media channels You've got to take the time to publicize the events and the campaigns. Um, You've got to keep that messaging fresh because Mm. messages on social media very, very quickly become stale. Um, So you've also kind of got, you've you've kind of got to plan a campaign or an event from start to finish and almost know what your message is going to be for however long that campaign is running um, so that you can just drop onto whatever social media it is, whether it's Facebook or or LinkedIn or whatever it is. And, and just copy and paste the new message in and 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 send it out. Definitely. It will take time, but over time you'll 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 not only grow the database, especially when people are making one-off donations, because then you've got their information. And as long as they opt in, yes, 
to receive more information, then you can keep them interested and you can keep sending them new information. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 not an instant fix. No. You know, you, you're talking about two to three years to grow a good individual donor base from scratch. Mm, absolutely. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, that's just what it takes. That's just how it is. Even with today's, you know, even even with the ability to capture millions of people, you've got to realise only around about between three and five percent of those are going to opt in to receive yeah. any further information from you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, GDPR means that you can only contact people who opt in. Exactly. It has to be a choice. Exactly. Um, but you know, it's it's just a case of the more you do, the more you'll get. Yeah. And I hope this serves as a reminder for people out there that are maybe in that first one or two years where maybe the role that they're doing is individual giving, but they're not covering their role potentially at this point. But absolutely, there's a route to that in the future and having your kind of think with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey would say, obviously. Yeah, yeah, you've got to think longer term when it comes to uh, individual donors. And and the same goes for corporate sponsors and the Mm -hmm. same goes for... Mm -hmm. um, uh, campaigns as well you, you you've got to think longer term you, you take as many lessons as you can out of each one you get better each time and yeah. um, see well i was going to say some some ceos what instant results um and i understand why that is but i'm afraid that's not how individual donors works it is a long-term strategy yeah um, ceos have to be patient with fundraisers i'm afraid definitely and definitely yeah so I, I'm definitely I'm interested in um, a, a maybe a specific campaign you want to share with us, either from staying put or, or somewhere else in your career. Can you give us an example of one of us your successful fundraising campaigns that you're a part of, and tell us maybe a, bit, a little bit about what it did well? Um, yeah, we've got um, we've got one coming up in October. Um, it was a it's actually a partnership um, uh, event. It's a CEO Sleepout. So. Um, Sleep Out is the actual name of a charity and they put on exactly what it says on the tin they get CEOs to sleep out for a night um, usually in a well-known venue they they use a lot of football clubs and the money that they raise in sponsorship um, is given to local homelessness charities so I stumbled across CEO Sleepout and I thought, oh, what a good idea that is. Mm. Now, 32% of our clients um, who are people who have been affected by domestic abuse and or sexual violence um, have periods of homelessness. Mm. So I thought, well, there's a clear connection there. So mm-hmm. I got into the CEO Sleepout and they said to me, look, if you can find a venue in mm. West Yorkshire, which we haven't done, then we'll go ahead and we'll run an event between us. So wow. I managed to persuade Leeds United Football Club to host it. Good old Ellen Road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was originally planned for April. Yep. Um, now, for various reasons, not of our making, I'm afraid, it had to be delayed. Okay. Um, so it's happening now on the 19th of October. Nice. So they have a bunch of people who do these regular sleep outs for them all over the country. I had to recruit as many people as I possibly could. I found that quite hard, actually. Mm. Um, I must have sent out upwards of 350-odd uh, messages, a lot of them wow. via LinkedIn. I was going to say with LinkedIn, yeah, and what email as the alternative to LinkedIn? Yeah, yeah. Um, personal contacts and various others. 
And out of that, I only managed to persuade 10 people. 10's not bad. Um, So we've got 10 people joining us, plus our CEO is doing it, plus our head of um, operations and client care is doing it, and of course, I'm doing it. Yep, of course. Um, And we set ourselves a target of £1,000 per person. Nice. Nice. So hopefully, with a little bit of luck and a fair wind, we should raise about 12k from that, which would be brilliant. Absolutely. Um, and that's all, uh, you know, it's all um, funding that we can use in any way that we wish, as long as we're using it to help our service users. Exactly. Um, so so that's one that's coming up very soon. It, it is, in fact, our first venture, if you like, our first go um at staying put with a what's been largely a a a digital mm. campaign if you like even though the event is an actual physical one mm-hmm. and we do have to sleep out <laughs> um it, it's it's our first foray so you know the lessons i've taken from that is don't delay yes yes <laughs> um i think we've lost some enthusiasm initial enthusiasm you know okay well, yeah, hence the the long term delay, obviously. Yeah. It over a long period of time, yeah. yeah fair and, enough. Yeah. And of course, people signed up originally for the April one, and then suddenly mm. can't make it for the October one. Can't think why. <laughs> so that's a, that's a valuable yeah. lesson a for the future. I think we maybe. just lost. I think we just lost a little bit of momentum. Yeah. But um, we have a great um, communications manager, and she's um, refreshed it and relaunched it and uh, produced a yeah. Uh, a fundraising pack and helped our people that have signed up to refresh their messages and uh, sort of relaunched it on just giving and what have you. So Brilliant. hopefully that'll uh, that'll drum up a bit more enthusiasm and we'll get what we're aiming for. Yeah, and, and we also then reaching not just the CEOs, but their network of people who are donating to them, who then maybe... Well, that's that's the idea. I mean, that's yeah. the idea. That's why, that's why, we, that's why they go for uh, CEOs purely exactly. because... Yeah. Being in that position, they'll invariably have a large number of employees, yeah. quite a large network, personal and business, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because they're operating at that level. So the idea was that CEOs would be able to bring in more sponsors, perhaps, than uh, other people. I'd like to see how you all, you all get on. Any tents allowed, or are you just air mat, sleeping bag? What's the... no, no? I'm I've got a. I'm going to be borrowing my wife's yoga mat because we're sleeping on a concrete base. Crikey. So uh, average temperature in October is around about 60 degrees, so it's going to be cold. Yeah, yeah. And uh, most of the cold comes up through the floor, so something between you and the floor is good. So I've got a yoga mat. You might want to. <laughs> good quality, good quality sleeping bag. Nice, uh, Andy. And I'll be wearing as many layers as I could possibly put on, and I'll be climbing into my sleeping bag with every layer still intact. Absolutely. I feel like it would be cheating if I did this, as I'm very good at camping out all year round, and I think I'd be the most comfortable one there. <laughs> well, I've, I mean, I did a lot of that in my younger days, and then I yeah. had a bag and, uh, you know, the emergency food and all the rest of it yeah. when, we were climbing, when we were doing the three peaks and things like that, but this is a little bit different. This is Absolutely. sleeping on hard, flat, concrete surface. Exactly. It's more to mimic that. So, um, uh, and we shouldn't forget, you know, people who are homeless won't, won't, won't even have that. Absolutely. You know, we couldn't put our CEOs in a dark alley unprotected somewhere uh, because nobody would do it. But, uh, you know, that's the reality for a lot of homeless people. So we just need to take that into account if we think we're suffering because we won't be. Yeah, right. 
absolutely. It's, in the context of that, it's 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 hard to reach that kind of suffering and uh, especially in that kind of format. But fair play, Andy, and I'm glad to hear you're going through that as well. And it's uh, a great project. And maybe you're going to reach ten thousand pounds, which is awesome to bring in from one event as well with, with yeah. such a small group of participants. That'll be great. And then uh, yeah, and then we'll be able to put that to very good use. Nice. Um, so I also know that you have a passion for creative writing and am I right in saying you had a background as a journalist as well? Um, I did indeed, yeah. And so maybe a, a couple of questions here. One, I'm, I'm wondering what you think that kind of background in journalism allowed you to bring to fundraising and if you think there was kind of a benefit, I'm sure there was. Um, and then also that skill in creative writing that we all know is is uh, present in fundraising. What role does that has that played in your fundraising? So a couple of questions there. So the journalism skills helped because it enables me to write really succinctly mm. and to get a lot of information into a short space of time yeah. or into just a short space. Mm. I mean, that is the essence of newspaper writing. Mm. Mm. That is the essence of journalism mm. is to get the maximum amount of information into the shortest space. In journalism, if you've got a particular story and you want to write a story and then something else breaks over the top of it, which is going to take up a lot more space, what you've written is cut from the bottom. Uh, so you need to get what, where, when, who, how in the mm. first paragraph. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's a, that's a hard-learned lesson. Um, and, it, and it really helps when it comes to writing, especially competitive tenders. Um, but also in a lot of grant applications these days where you are really strictly limited to the number of words that you can use. Absolutely. Um, and I understand why funders do it because they haven't got all day to be reading reams and reams of material, half of which is not germane to the subject. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and so for me, practically, it really helps that way. Yeah, brevity is key, isn't it, for this kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, brevity, but brevity with a purpose. Absolutely, I love that brevity of a purpose. That's nice. Um, so then, the less on the journalism journalism side of it, um, in terms of brevity, but then actually just generally creative writing, being able to write yeah. emotively, being able to, I kind of say sometimes make the funders cry. That would be a nice way to get their emotions going. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, creative writing does play a part. Um, mm. I mean, it's it's part of what I was just talking about. You know, you've got to be creative with words anyway to get what you want to say in a short space. Absolutely. Um, so you've got to try and choose words to the maximum of their meaning. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, Easier said than done. Got what I was going to say. Oh yeah. So so stay in port is a domestic abuse sexual violence support charity. Yeah. 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 And we've got three main strands. Uh, we've got a single point of contact called mm. the one front door. Um, mm -hmm. There are triage and a referral service. We've got accommodation support services and we've got community teams. And within those main operational areas, lots and lots and lots of different things happen or mm. are happening all the time. Mm. So if I was to explain everything we do, it'd be a book. Absolutely. And what you've got to get is the attention of the person who's reading it. And, okay. and so, as you were saying, an emotional, impactful statement is an attention grabber. An mm. attention grabber. Mm. Mm. So I might say to you, two women lose their lives to domestic abuse every week in the mm -hmm. UK. Stay important. Make sure those numbers aren't even higher. Absolutely. 
So that's an impact statement. That's an attention grabber. And if and if the form that you're filling in allows you to put it in bold italics and then leave a space to allow it to sink in for the reader, it's even more of an attention grabber. Absolutely. It's only 21 words. Mm. And it's true. I love that you know the word count line. statement as I mean, well. I, you know, it's true, but it's the bottom line. There's no detail in there. Yeah. Um, but then you can weave that in later because you've grabbed their attention. And that actually is what happens in article writing. And it's what happens in fiction, mm -hmm. stories. Mm -hmm. you now, if you've not got that attention grabber, are you going to turn the page over? No. Exactly. And I think this links nicely to to the to another question of talking about the fast-paced social media world. Now I've kind of been told we have three seconds to get someone's attention. And actually, could you just repeat that quote you said? Because I think it'd be quite nice for people to hear again. So two women lose mm. their lives to domestic abuse every week in the mm. UK. Stay and put, make sure those numbers aren't higher. It's powerful, isn't it? And then as you say, can we visually in the application or in social media? create space for that message and then a pause afterwards so that that's definitely one way we can get people's attention and maybe the best way i don't know whether the best is the appropriate term there but a very successful way are there any other ways you're you're kind of utilizing specific methods to try and get people's attention in this kind of fast-paced social media world um I, yeah i mean there are lots and lots of reports that come out all of the time yeah um, there are lots of statistics and you know people say you know lies lies and statistics but some of them are very attention grabbing very mm. attention grabbing mm. so you can use those um if you've got space for a short bullet pointed list then some of those stats have as much impact as that did, as 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 that one does really do um, yeah you know like 32% of women who suffer domestic abuse will spend some time homeless you know um Domestic violence against women makes up seventeen percent of all crime in the UK, um, wow. which is massive. One point six million women last year were affected by abuse of some kind. Mm. One point mm. six million. One point six million. Exactly. So you know you can kind of you can put that another way. One point six million is is. I mean, everybody knows what 1.6 million is, but it's hard to visualise 1.6 million people in one place. So you might say three full Wembley stadiums. It, this is exactly it, isn't it? How we then engage with those numbers can also yeah. paint a more emotive picture. Yeah. In, in both so, ways. You, know, yeah. you paint a picture in people's heads for them to imagine using words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so once you've engaged them on that level, uh, then you've... you've the battles well, we're, ready, we're ready to share the wider message aren't we now? yeah 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 somebody told me a long time ago um sell the sizzle mm. and what they meant by that was um I imagine you're a, i don't know imagine you're a sausage manufacturer you don't tell people how much meat and how little fat is in the sausages you're making or what quality they are you tell them how delicious it is how resistant mm. they are mm. how you're going to drool over and enjoy them so that's selling the sizzle. Now, some people I might say that. that's um, <laughs> over-elaboration or what have you. But the bottom line for fundraisers is get the money in. Mm. Don't tell lies. Don't mm. make things up, but get the money in. Absolutely. Paint a picture in somebody's head and you're nine times out of ten you've won. It's the literary equipment. It's, it's the literary equivalent, if I can get my teeth in, 
Mm. I've seen the pictures of children trekking across miles of inhospitable terrain to gather up a few buckets of dirty, disease-ridden water. We've all seen that advert. It tugs on your heartstrings. How many of us reach for the phone and give them a fiver or whatever it is? Yeah, yeah. When you've seen that kind of advert on television, our reactions to start facts and emotive images are very different, and the latter is always far more powerful. Mm, mm, yeah, no, you're right, and this is this is creative writing, isn't it? This is being able to draw That's people's exactly, attention yeah. to your wider message. Um, That's exactly what it is, yeah. And and maybe some few words of support for people that potentially some fundraisers or marketers or or even journalists that might be listening to this. And do you have any advice for anybody in that kind of those roles that maybe is a little bit sat thinking they're not necessarily the most creative writer and so maybe some objective feedback but maybe subjective is there anything andy you could say to those people to try and help them write creative uh, everybody can be creative and i don't believe I, I agree i don't believe that uh, i just don't believe that people can't be creative listen i've been teaching um actually creative writing and journalism for what 30 years ish now yeah um, and so that's a lot of students I've had over that time. Absolutely. And people often say to me, oh, I can't do that. I'm not an expert in this particular subject. Well, read them. Mm, okay. You can't write, read first. Wow. You know, so and it's the same as anything else. It's a skill that can be learned in, in the same way that any skill can be learned. If you want to be an Olympic swimmer, you have to do a hell of a lot of swimming. Mm. If you want to be a long-distance runner, you have to do a hell of a lot of running. If you want to be a great writer, you have to do a hell of a lot of reading and writing. Mm-hmm. And every time you do it and you put yourself out there, there are people out there that will come back and say, well, if you'd said this or if you'd said that, just learn the lessons. Yes. Read what other people have written. Yes, You know, go on to, um, I don't know, go on to the lottery. They've got a list of, of organisations going back to the year dot that they've given funding to, yeah. call them up, you know, call them up and say, what did you do? What did you yeah. say that, 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 that enabled you to get the money? Uh, what did you write? And, and nine times out of 10, if you're talking to somebody who's in a similar post to you, yeah. they'll share it with you. Yeah. It's, no, it's no skin off their nose. They've got their money. And, you know, most people in similar positions, most certainly people in charitable organisations, are quite happy to share the stuff that they've written that's really? been successful. And, and and you can learn for that. You've just got to get over that barrier of don't feel you can't ever ask. Ask. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we can't um, what does the Bible say? Ask and thou shalt receive. Yes, absolutely. That's a really, really great idea. So going on the National Lottery site and seeing who they funded, maybe yeah. picking similar organisations as possible. Yeah, and there are other sites that do it as well. Benevity do it. Um, they've got a, a whole list of people that they've given funding to. Quite a lot of funders will tell you. Just lost your audio for a sec. I don't know if that's me, Andy. I'm not sure if that's me or you. Let's have a little go. Do you want to say something again, just quickly? Yeah, quite a lot of funders um, list their you successful lost your audio. Do you want to try have muting lost... yourself and unmuting quickly? No, I'm um, uh, That's me or not? I'm not. I'm not muted. Oh, we've we've it's lagging basically. I'm not sure if that's my internet or internet. All right. Oh, you're back. Hello. Hello. There we go. We lost okay. you for a second there. So um, we were just talking about um, how we can support people, maybe from a creative writing perspective. Yeah. So I was just saying the lottery and lots of other um, large funders will always have lists on their on their websites of nice. projects that they've funded in the past. 
And if you think they're a funder that would fund you because of the type of work that you do, then the odds are that they will have funded somebody who's doing something very similar. Exactly. All you've got to do is look for them. Yeah. You know, look for organisations that are similar to yours in some way or, you know, the work that they're doing touches the work that you also do in some way. Find somebody that's similar to yourself and Google them, make contact, call them up. Do you have a fundraiser? Do you have a business development manager? Do you think I could talk to them? My name is so-and-so, so-and-so, and I'm from such-and-such, such-and-such. And then just say, you know, I, I, I hope you don't mind, but I just wanted to try and pick your brains. Uh, I'm telling you, they will share it with you. Mm-hmm. They will absolutely share it with you. A lot of people um, will actually send you their, their documents. You know, if the project's finished and it's done and dusted and they've just kept the documents for research purposes or whatever, as I do, I keep everything. Nice. Then I'll send people the answers yeah. that I've used to a particular question. It's no skin off my nose. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if they want to use it or they want to edit it and 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 put it in their own words, you know, it, it won me the money. It's the same as I say to students who are doing the creative writing course um, with me. Just ask. Love it. I give them the benefit of my experience. Yeah. Um, and I'll often send them articles that I've had published um, or I'll rewrite their introduction for them and just say, use it. Just nice. just use that. Uh, give the people what they want. Love um, it. So, <laughs> so looking at the future of fundraising now, um, one, one thing that came from DSC recently is our grants for good research that showed an increase in local government funding. And I just wondered whether currently at Staying Put or at another time in your career, if you made a strategy that specifically focused on one area of fundraising, i.e. government, corporate, individuals, et cetera, over another. And I was wondering why you might have made a decision in the past to do that. Now, you might say, no, I've never done that. But I'm just intrigued to hear what you say about that, Andy. No, I've never done that. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> so it's always been a broad spectrum approach when even well, it's a smaller it, consideration in some areas. It's... The strategy has yes. always been broader than that. Yes. Um, there are times when you might focus more on grants and then if you've got a major contract that's coming up for renewal in three months' time, mm. your entire focus is going to be on re-winning that. Mm. Um, I mean, most for most people, for most charities, certainly, focusing only on one is not a sensible strategy anyway. Absolutely. No organisation wants to be reliable on a single source of funding. Exactly. Um, especially not government funding because it is subject <laughs> to the whims and vagaries not only of public opinion but also ministers. And ministers change and governments change and focus and priorities change. We've seen that. We saw it in the COVID lockdown. Mm. We saw it in uh, the Ukraine war. We're seeing mm. it now with the mm. rack concrete thing. Um, you know, when um, there was a lady that was um, murdered by a policeman, uh, Sarah Everard, her name was, yeah. Yeah. was murdered by a serving policeman. And the then Home Secretary, which was Pretty Patel, um, commissioned a report into the way in which different forces across the country reacted to uh, domestic abuse and uh, sexual violence against women. And the differences up and down the country were stark, um, amazingly different. Mm. Um, and, and that set about a, a, a chain of events 
that tries to standardise the way in which forces approach domestic abuse and sexual mm. violence. Mm. And and with that came um, some additional money. Um, so that was just one event that was reported for the space of two or three weeks, I guess, before it disappeared off the headlines. Yeah, yeah. That made a big difference. And those mm. things made a big difference to our area of work. Well, yeah. big things. It made a difference. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it gave us opportunities that we could bid into uh, and which and which we we won. Um, so it made a difference to us as an organisation. So that's just one, mm. well, I should say small event. It wasn't a small event. It was a tragic event. But it was one event that grabbed the media attention for a few weeks that made a huge difference. And those things happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got to be ready and able to take advantage of that um, if and when you can. Um, so focusing on one work yeah strategy is ultimately very limiting you're limiting yourself to what you can do i was surprised actually i was surprised that your focus showed that um government funding had, had gone up so were um, we local government funding local uh, government local funding. government funding yeah because yeah. I mean, their budgets had been cut drastically repeatedly yeah. absolutely and, um, and and the financial times reporting to corporate corporate giving this year year um, showed that corporate giving had fallen. It was it's currently at the same level it was in 2017. I didn't know that. that which is around about an eight percent reduction. Wow. On last wow. year. Interesting, so, right? So yeah, that 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 surprised me. But we no, were surprised, our, definitely. Our our fundraising strategy covers all of the above: competitive tendering, grant applications, corporate sponsors, individual donors, events, campaigns. Absolutely. Um. But there's a, there's a, I mean, to answer the second part of your um, question, uh, fundraising, like many other areas of work, it has cycles. Yeah. So government departments, local government, uh, lots of corporates, local authorities, they get their budgets in April. Yeah. You know, they find out what their budgets for the next year are going to be, well, towards the end of March, but it becomes publicly available in April. Yeah. Um, and 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 that's when you see a lot of competitive tenders for whatever service it might be exactly. uh, come out in April and May. Yeah, they've realised how much we've got to spend and what can we do with the money that we've got to spend. So then the tenders come out in April and May. Um, the replies and the scoring goes into uh, end of June, middle of July, usually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, anything from four to eight weeks different councils do different things yeah. depends on the size of the contract that's been awarded kind of thing exactly. Exactly. but the scoring goes into June, July and then the contracts and then there's a standstill period usually so whoever is successful in getting the funding there's usually a sort of a 10 week standstill period where the people who haven't got it either write and complain or pose a lot of questions and they have to be answered. So you get a stand, standstill period of between six and 10 weeks, which means often the contract that you've won, the project that you're going to set up is going to run from September or October. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so then you've got, so then you, you, you're going to spend a the time then recruiting people for this new project or program. It's going to take you time to set it up. It's going to take you time to get it running and and that part of things then is usually handed over to operational people exactly. rather than development people, which is what yep. business development managers or fundraisers are. So then you've got a lull. That gap that gap then opens up then because you've handed it over to the ops people for them to get on with. You've you've kind of done your bit, if you like. Yeah. Um, so you've got that gap opens up. 
Now, lots of trustees don't meet over Christmas and New Year period. Mm-hmm. So that starts to wind down in November. So you've got that October to middle of November gap where you can focus on grant applications mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. whack those in, knowing full well that they're probably not going to be read until New Year. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, and so mid-November to December in the approach to Christmas and New Year is a time when lots of individuals feel very generous, probably mm-hmm. more so than any other time of year, True. towards charities. And so you see lots of events and campaigns being launched. True. Yeah. Um, so everything's got its place. There's a time for everything. Um, and for those, cycle, work, yeah. for those of us who don't work as a part of a team, there's just no quiet time. Yeah. <laughs> there's just times when you focus on one or the other of the above according to this funding cycle. And exactly. I've been doing this for 35-ish years, mm. and that hasn't changed much at all. Amazing. Amazing. Even even, uh, even during the COVID lockdown, since I was already working at home, it didn't make a lot of difference to me. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah the, cycle, the cycle just continues, and I, I, I suspect it will do long after I've hung up my pen. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's a, a great place to, to leave us there, Andy, with that summary of the sector of fundraising and, and the ebbs and flows of the yearly kind of mood we've got. And, and I appreciate you sharing the story of the CEO sleep out and, and best of luck with that. My thoughts will be with you. Is it October the 19th, did you say? October the 19th, yes. Amazing. The day before my wife's birthday. Okay, incredible. So uh, <laughs> that maybe a good birth present for her then will be um, some f- full donations for you and, and your fellow participants. Well, I've got to, I don't anticipate getting a huge amount of sleep. And um, on the 20th, my wife's birthday, we're going away for a long weekend. So um, I suspect she may be doing most of the driving. And I was say, she might have to drive. And I'll be reclining in the passenger seat. That's my favourite <laughs> position on long journeys as well, Andy. Um <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. And if Very people welcome. wanted to follow you, do you have social media, Andy? Could people get in touch with you? Yeah, you can find me. Yeah, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, Perfect. Amazing. on Twitter. And Staying Put, we can just Google Staying Put, but what's the website for your organisation? Yeah, it's www.stayingput.org.uk. So yeah, you can, you absolutely can. And if and, and, and whilst you're there, if you're checking us out, just just click donate. <laughs> <laughs> Says the business development manager at Stanford. Remember, I'll be sleeping on a concrete floor. It's worth five pounds of your money. It really just, is. Just for the photographs. It really is. I'm looking forward to seeing them. Okay. Perfect, Andy. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to you. I hope it's been useful. Absolutely. Well, I've definitely learned something. Thank you, Andy. Great stuff. Take care. Bye. Thank you for watching Charity Questions by the Directory of Social Change. So this is the podcast where we bring charity experts to you and we ask them the questions that you provide us via social media. So if you want to get involved, please check out the Directory of Social Change on Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn. And of course, to hear more about this content and to learn more about Charity Questions, subscribe to our YouTube channel now and of course, like this video to let us know if you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for watching. Cheers.